Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, September 13, 2012. This is episode 980 of the Survival Podcast, and we have a great episode today. Stephen Harris is back. Steve is back to talk to us again, uh, this time about fuel and fuel storage. I'll have him on in just a moment. Before I do, though, let's go ahead and introduce our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical from the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. Veteran-owned, veteran-operated, and all the cool stuff you need to live that tactical lifestyle. From survival sporks, yes, the titanium spork, to Magpul magazines, to SOE tactical gear, to everything you can think of in the tactical world, you'll find it at Sawtooth Tactical. Check them out today. And uh, next up today, ready-made resources. Now, what more can you ask for from a company than for them to say, this is our name, this is what we do, and then they do it. That's what ready-made resources does. All the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready to go, go point, click, and buy. And uh, you can check them out at readymaderesources.com. The best way to visit Sawtooth and to visit ready-made and to visit all of our sponsors would be go to survivalpodcast.com first. And click on the banners in our right-hand margin. Then you know you're dealing with an actual sponsor instead of a brand pirate. Because, folks, the brand pirates are out there. Next up, hope to see some of you guys tomorrow and Saturday at Hickory, North Carolina at the Self-Reliance Expo. I will be there. I hope you will be, too. Details of a special meet and greet and some other things are in today's show notes. Uh, I've been talking about that for a long time, so I'll just say I'll be there. Because of that, there will not be a show tomorrow. There will not be a show Monday. TSP will return on Tuesday. On those days that we're off, there's been 980 episodes as of today. I challenge you to find a couple episodes you haven't heard yet and listen to them, uh, or to go back and listen to some of maybe your favorites. Remember, you can use our tag cloud or our search feature at thesurvivalpodcast.com uh, to listen to any of the shows that we've done from number one up till 980 as of today, and they all remain available to you all the time. Next up, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. And uh, you support the show at about 20 cents an episode. I think after today's show, you're going to be like, oh, that was worth 20 cents. If you think so and you haven't become a uh, member yet, do consider becoming a member of our support brigade. Uh, with that, I've kind of blown through the uh, housekeeping a little bit quicker today uh, because I want to make sure I give uh, ample time to Steve Harris because I know he's going to go long because he always puts so much work into preparation uh, that he always brings so much information. There's no way it ever fits into an hour. I don't expect today to be any exception, but I do expect that, uh, expect that you're going to learn an awful lot about fuel and fuel storage, how to do it smart, how to do it economically, and how to do it in just about any situation you can think of. And with that, hey, Steve, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man. <laughs> Jack, I'm thrilled to be back. Oh, this is such fun. I love it. Hey, so uh, last time you were on, uh, we had like just a kick-ass show on backup power and kind of getting by with backup power using things that you can make part of your everyday life. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, right after that show, uh, maybe three or four weeks, I went to Arlington to do the Self-Reliance Expo just kind of like the one I'm going to be doing this weekend. And uh, I had a huge audience of people out there that were mostly TSP people because they all showed up early to get in early. And when I got <laughs> to the part on backup power, I said, how many people out there already own a generator? And like 95% of their hands went up, right? 
-hmm. And I said, everybody that knows the answer is yes because of Stephen Harris, put your hands down. And there were only like five hands left up after that. Of course, we were talking about their car. (laughs) So I thought that was really cool. So that was a great show. I think it taught people a lot of things. And they can get that show and all your other shows at, what is it, Solar1234? Dot com. Yeah, dot all com. my all my previous shows are at solar1234.com. Now, one of the things people loved off of the last show, which was show number 940, was uh, I had a list of stuff I put up on solar1234.com, and it lists all the Harris-approved stuff. This is the stuff I've had for years, beat up, you know, thrown at the wall, and, you know, it just works and works and works and works. And I put links up to it to Amazon. So you can either go see it, and then you can, I say if it's available at Walmart, you can go buy it at Walmart, you can go buy it here, or if you want, you can get it from Amazon. But that list has expanded because you guys just wrote me and said, I need D-cell batteries. I really need D-cell nickel metal hydrides. So I said, oh, these are my favorite D-cell nickel metal hydrides, and how do I measure the power from my refrigerator? Well, you, you need a kilowatt meter. I listed the kilowatt meter up there so you can go see what it looks like. So that list has expanded, and that list has expanded for this show as well. Everything I talk about here will be up there. I like to not just tell you things. I want to enable you. I want you to learn it, and then I want you to be able to know where to get it, see what it looks like, and that's what I'm about. Well, and the show like spawned a whole bunch of questions, and we're going to have you come back at a later day to talk about expanding your power capabilities beyond an inverter and, and rechargeable batteries with generator systems. Yes. But that also led us down another path that I think we wisely decided to cover first because, as you put it, a generator without fuel is like a gun without bullets, right? It, it doesn't, yeah, it, it, it doesn't do shit. It's a heavy weight, right? So right. today we're going to be talking about storing fuels. Right, we're going to be talking about storing fuels this time. This show was supposed to be about storing fuels and generators, but storing fuels just, I mean, took up so much space that it, it ran an hour. So the show after this one will be on big generators, small generators, gasoline, diesel, natural gas generators, uh, PTO generators, two-cycle generators, um, it, it, whole house generators, regular generators, that's the next show, so look forward to it. And since you guys have written me about generators for the last month, I mean, I got a show lined up. That's just going to be rock'em, sock'em. Awesome, awesome. But today we're going to talk about fuel storage, and yep. specifically we're going to talk about what? Kerosene, diesel, and gasoline. Uh, gasoline, uh, yeah, that's, we can just start right into it. Um, you know, this is directly from you guys, but you guys have asked me uh, all those questions. Today's show is all about the best and easiest ways to store gasoline or diesel or in kerosene and all the fuels and how to treat them and how to use them when they get too old and what nasty things can happen to them and exactly how should they be stored. Now, a generator is useless like fuel, like Jack said, and I say, a generator without fuel is like a gun without bullets. During the blackout 2003, I got pictures of people wheeling $800 generators around. All they had was a five-gallon gas can on the thing. But <laughs> how to properly store fuel and keep it good has always been a big mystery for most people. And there's lots of myths out there, like, it's going to turn to varnish and, you know, all this stuff. And we're going just to get rid of those myths right now. We need to get the subject of how to store fuel and keep your fuel quality before we can get into the generator. So your traditional five-gallon red gasoline container that you buy in Walmart or any auto supply store is made from 
HDPE. That's a common in, in, in industry term, HDPE. It stands for high-density polyethylene. So anything made of HDPE will store gasoline, diesel, kerosene, and alcohol as good as any five-gallon gas can will. Okay? Same material, different shape. It doesn't matter. It's the material. The item I have used the most for storing my gasoline, my diesel, and my kerosene that I've used since the year 2000 is a regular 15-gallon plastic drum. This is the same blue plastic drum you buy for water storage. Uh, a water drum will hold gasoline just perfect. These 15-gallon drums come in either blue, which you're used to seeing, you know, the food-grade blue, and if it's food grade, you can put gasoline in it. You just can't use it for water afterwards. Uh, or it comes in a translucent light. And you can kind of see the fuel level through the translucent light. Uh, both are HDPE, and both will work perfect. Uh, the one I choose to drive around with in my pickup truck when I'm doing long drives is the blue one because it looks like a water drum. You know, I was driving over the Hoover Dam with my truck and trailer, and the guy looked at in the back of my pickup truck. He goes, what's in those 15 drums? And I said, water. I'm going in the desert. You know, I, <laughs> I didn't tell him it was gasoline. So. That's a good point. You know, another thing I like about the size of that storage container, it's significant at 15 gallons, mm -hmm. but it's something that two guys can still pick up and move around. You're looking at 120, 130 pounds, roughly, I would guess. Um, for a 55-gallon drum full of fuel ain't moving without a, without a piece of equipment. That's right. Gasoline is about 6.2 pounds per gallon. Okay, uh, so water it's less than water, so water, it's 100 water, pounds. It is. It's almost exactly 100 pounds. Water is 8.3. I mean, I'm a big six foot two guy. I can grunt and pick it up and put it into the pickup truck. I can roll the barrel around. Um, I can drop it off the pickup truck, and it'll just laugh at me. It's so durable. Uh, 15. I mean, I put my water in 15 gallon drums just for you know, it's like, hey, I need to move them from here to here, or here to there, and everything else. Um, that's my personal preference, and I'm telling you why it's my personal preference. If you got a 55 gallon drum, you know what's worse. You know what's worse than not having a 55 gallon drum? It's not having a 55 gallon drum full of water. So, <laughs> yeah, use what you got, people. I mean, this is my favorite, but what you can get and what you got is what you should be using. Now, if you want to see what a 15-gallon HDPE blue drum looks like for some reason, I got the link to one over at Amazon at Solar1234. You can actually buy it from Amazon if you want, but it's 50 bucks plus mail order. So the way to get these things locally is you go to maps.google.com or just go to google.com and type in maps, and Google Maps will be the first link that shows up. Now, here's the key words. Type in drums and barrels and then space your city and your state, and you will find all of your local drum and barrel suppliers. Okay, These are people who do deal in nothing but drums and surplus drums, used drums, and new drums. You can get these 15-gallon drums for between $20 and $35 locally, depending if they're new or they might have had like some uh, sweet syrup in them. And they might be white or blue, but they're still food grade. And the drum company would have washed out the syrup and then dried them, and they're selling to you them as used drums. These are perfectly good for storing your diesel fuel, your gasoline, or your kerosene. Jack, what do you got around you for drums and barrels? Uh, let's see. I have got, if you mean your map trip trick you just did, Dewey cooks scrap metal and iron. Okay, there you go. And Gibbs Brothers uh, Cooperage. Uh, are the two that show up in Hot Springs. And if you get answers in Hot Springs, you're probably going to get answers anywhere. 
Um, Cooperage, would be, Cooperage is good. That's an old term for barrels. Yep, absolutely. That's a wine winemaker, wine barrel maker's term. So what, do you have any barrels in your uh, personal storage? Uh, yeah, I actually use barrels very similar to what you're talking about there. I also do use 55-gallon drums for fuel storage, uh, specifically for diesel because I have two diesel vehicles and I have a generator that runs on diesel. Yep. Um, so I store a lot of diesel that I'm not looking to make mobile, but I use actually the exact same barrels for mobile fuel usage. Uh, the other thing that I use is NATO cans, NATO jerry cans for smaller amounts uh, because they're so damn durable and proven, and uh, I really like those too. So those are those are kind of my big three right there. Now I do have a few, you know, a few of the red cans too, but that's uh, that's just because they're cheap, and I've come by them at. I won't buy one of those at a store because there's better products. But if you know, sometimes you're at a swap meet or whatever, and somebody's selling them for two dollars a can or something, yeah, yeah, I'll pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> also, with the NATO cans, be careful. There's a difference between the welded seam and the and the press seam. Okay. There's a cheaper ones that are press seams, and, and the better ones are the uh, the welded seams, and those can get pretty pricey. I mean, those can be thirty dollars a piece for a five gallon can. They're expensive. They're 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 definitely expensive, but um, they're the best thing I found for mobility. Um, but like one of the things I never really thought of was the fact that okay, so that can's so I got let's say I got twenty gallons of that stuff strapped in the back of my truck. Anybody mm-hmm. looking at it knows what it is. Yep. Anybody not not just about getting across the Hoover Dam or whatever, but just theft. But yep. like you said, uh, water or people are a lot less likely to steal water than gasoline. <laughs> That's a great point. I never really thought of that. Unless it's the day after a hurricane, then you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Of course, they might be in trouble if they just go to drink it. <laughs> well, one of the secrets to storing fuel, especially gasoline, in these 15-gallon drums or the 30- or 55-gallon drums is having a very good bung wrench. Now, the one I have is cast from solid aluminum, 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 it's indestructible. It uh, lets me tighten down the drum opening with all my force, and I get a perfect 100% seal. Now, most drums, you got a big opening and a small opening. The small one's like for the air hole for if you're pouring out. You basically leave that one closed all the time. You're tightening down the big one, and there's a little O-ring gasket in there. And uh, make sure the O-ring gasket doesn't jump out if you turn it down too hard. But getting that good, tight drum seal is the most important thing. You can usually get a bung wrench where you buy the drums and barrels, you know, the cooperage place or the scrap and salvage place. You know, Jack had it was, is excellent. If you can't get one there or if you just want to see what, what a bung wrench looks like, I got three of them listed on Solar1234 right now, solar1234.com, I'm sorry. And uh, you can go see what they look like. I got a lightweight aluminum bung wrench, which is okay. And if you can afford $33, I got a wrench. Uh, that's the one that I have, and it's on Amazon. You can get it. It's all one piece. It's solid cast aluminum with all of the size tools on it. It's got like four ends on it. It's like a double-end wrench with four ends on it, and then it's got two other little wrenches built into it. The thing is so solid, it's a weapon. You can use it with any barrel or drum that you get. But uh, go take a look at it. Buy it locally. Buy it through there. I don't care. I just want you guys to be able to go see it. This lets you get an incredibly tight seal on the drum because the number one enemy of the storage of gasoline is it being exposed to air or it evaporating out. 
gasoline is a mixture of sometimes nearly 1,000 different chemicals. And the major chemical in gasoline is benzene, which is a carcinogen. People, don't drink it, don't suck it, try not to get it on your hands, okay? It's, it's not really good stuff in the long term, especially if you get exposed to a lot of it. But when the lighter, <clears throat> there's something called the heavier ends and the lighter ends. The light, when the lighter ends evaporate off and the lighter ends are, is what you normally smell when you smell gasoline, then you're left with the heavier, lower vapor pressure hydrocarbons. Some of these are called oleophins, and they're what make things gummy. And at the end result is you get a fuel that does not want to evaporate very well. I mean, that's the end thing is if you've got a leaky container, it just doesn't want to evaporate. Well, when gasoline does not want to evaporate very well, then it makes it harder for the engine to start. Because remember the old saying, it's gasoline vapors that burn. It's not the gasoline itself that burns. No vapors, no ignition, no engine running. So I've got a question for you. Other than the fact, like we already mentioned, that they're lighter and easier to move. Like my 55-gallon drums of diesel fuel aren't going anywhere without a forklift, right? Yeah. But is there any other reason you settled on, like, you know, 15-gallon drums uh, from a size footprint standpoint? Um, no, it was the weight. Uh, and keep in mind, you can stack them on top of each other. Uh, they can stack just fine, at least too high. And they're just in, incredibly durable. If you drop the 55-gallon drum off the back of your truck, the, the amount of weight in it might make the thing burst. Uh, it'll probably survive quite a few, but... I mean, you got a smaller, you got the same wall thickness in a 15 gallon, and you got a smaller diameter, so it's much more tight. I've I've skidded these things off the back of my pickup truck and down the highway, and uh, <laughs> gone and picked them up and put them back into my truck and everything else. They're just really um, in, in, indestructible. Uh, like but like you said, the reason I put the stuff in it is so I can lift them, I can move them. I think it maybe it makes using like rotating your fuel a little bit easier too because you got smaller quantities to work with. Yes, yep. yes, absolutely. Rotating rot rotating your fuel in a fifty in a fifteen gallon drum is definitely a lot easier than it is in a fifty five gallon drum. Because I can do that every freaking other day if I really want to. <laughs> I mean, depends on how far the F three fifty is going. You don't go that far on fifteen gallons with an F three fifty. That's right, but uh, I mean, well, I mean, think about it. It's a five six thousand pound truck and moving five six thousand pounds with two thousand pounds in the bed 12 miles on one gallon of anything isn't that kind of like a little modern miracle i mean i, I think it's so underappreciated by modern society if you figured out what a gallon of diesel fuel can do in human labor it equates to about eight months of work yeah and that's <laughs> just i mean the the level of uh, of freedom that gives society is so underappreciated. I digress, but yeah, it is amazing. Well, let's see. I've told you they're durable as hell. I've dropped them on the back of my pickup truck. Um, now the, the other thing is, if if you fill one of these drums with full of gasoline and it gets to be summertime, it's going to heat up and it's going to bulge out. Okay, it's going to look fat. It's going to look bloated, almost big enough to make you be scared a little bit. Don't be. Don't let it scare you. It can take it. Okay. In the winter time, it's going to get sucked in and have a great big dent in it. Okay. You know, big enough for a cat to walk through between it and the wall. It's going to look really funny. Again, don't worry about it. It can take it. Because just on that though, do you would you recommend when I look out and I see one of my barrels all bloated out that I go ahead and crack it and let it vent off? Nope. 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 Let it alone. Okay. Leave it alone. 
Let it be want. pregnant. Okay. You're you're losing the stuff that you want to keep. You're losing okay. you're losing the light the light ends. Uh, they can take it. I've had, I've been out there in my garage and seen them cycle every year for ten years, and you know they get bloated and big and small. I and when I was going on a trip, I'd be in the desert. They'd be bloated. I'd go up the mountain. They'd be sucked in. Uh, I mean, they can do it almost infinitely. They can go in and out. So, I mean, when, when you see them bloated or sucked in, that means your seal's good, and that's a good thing, okay? If you don't see them being bloated or sucked in as the heat's changing, you get your bung wrench and go check your seal. And, you know, put your nose up to it and go, and he's like, do you smell gasoline? If you smell gasoline, it's probably it's not sealed good, okay? Because you should, it should be sealed so good that you will not smell the gasoline coming out of the thing at all. That means I'm doing it right because when I walk in my shed, I don't smell diesel fuel. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Diesel fuel is harder to smell than gasoline, but yeah. yeah. I've been using these drums since about year 2000, and all of mine are just fine. Uh, I do this every year. Nothing's wrong. In fact, I think so much of these drums, here's a good thing for you and I to talk about, Jack. If I lived in an apartment and I had a balcony, and I was 50 stories up in the air, a 50-story apartment building, and I was concerned about preparedness and my safety and I personally would think nothing of having a 15-gallon can, 15-gallon HDPE drum, like I just described, in my closet full of gasoline year-round in my apartment on the 50th floor. Hmm. That is how safe I think these drums are. The drum is just so darn tight when you tighten up with a good bung wrench. Um, I know I would use something like a Honda EU-1000i or EU-2000i generator on my balcony, okay? You know, if you got a balcony on your 50th floor and you're not too scared to walk out on it. Now, I would st- I'd store the generator in the apartment with no fuel in it, okay? Because the generator is leaky when it comes to fuel. You're going to smell it. So Absolutely. no fuel in the generator. Pour all the, you know, get rid of the fuel, run it dry, let it air out for a day or two. Then put the generator in your apartment in the barrel fuel and then put it, the generator on the, and the, you know, big, disaster going on, put the generator on the balcony, put the fuel drum on the balcony, uh, use my siphon that I am going to tell you about to transfer the fuel to the generator, and then seal the drum back up and run the generator and leave them both on the balcony. You know, this would be one of the very few ways that I can think of to provide electricity to a person on the 50th floor of an apartment building. The drum's so well sealed that it's not a fire hazard. What's going to ignite it? I mean, don't set a candle on the thing, but other than that, what's going to ignite? Even though there's no vapor, no smell, what's going? To, it's not going to blow up. It's not yeah. going to burn. I mean, I wouldn't want the landlord to see it. He'd have a conniption fit. Yeah. But that's because he doesn't understand. Sure. I mean, I think I would personally, if I had it, you know, a lot of apartments and stuff have storage buildings out on their patio. And if I had the option, I'd prefer it there. But from what you're telling me, I wouldn't let the absence of that prevent me from having fuel available. And 15 gallons of fuel in like a little one or two K gen set, uh, those things are sippers. I mean, you're not going to be running uh, the whole daggone show, but you're not going to do that in an apartment anyway. Uh, but that will give you some power for a long daggone time on one of those little, you know, one, two K generator sets. 
Yeah, especially if you use what we talked about on show 940 with uh, recharging AA batteries and everything. Uh, we're going to talk about in the future about charging up marine batteries in your house and your apartment and everything else. So uh, I always talk about you run like a submarine. You, you start the generator and you like a submarine on the surface. You run full speed, you run your microwave, you run every, your TV, you run everything in your house, and then you, you, you recharge your batteries when you're on, on the surface, and then you turn off the main engine, you go below the surface, and you run silent, run deep, and you sip the energy off your batteries. And uh, I've talked about that. We're going to talk about that in detail in the future. But, I mean, other than a lot of batteries or this... 15-gallon trick with a small Honda EU-1000i type of generator. I mean, imagine being on the 50th floor, Jack. I mean, the walk up and down would be killer. I mean, you're almost marooned. You're almost, if you're in the 50th, I know, I know there's so many people who have written me from around the world. I know there's people, in fact, write me and tell me what apartment, what, what, what your apartment um, story is, okay? My emails, yeah. my emails on solar1234.com. Um, I want you to write me and say, Steve, I'm on the 60th floor. Steve, I'm on the 80th floor. And, in fact, I want to start talking to you, some apartment people, because maybe we can have a show just for people in apartments. Well, I think that would be great. I get, I get apartment questions all the time, and this is one of, the, one of the more profound things. And I'll tell you what, one of the things I think about with it is it's one of the few times there might actually be somewhat of an advantage. Um, if you fire up your generator in the suburbs – uh, it makes noise, and then people know it's there. And then yeah. these times, it's very likely that somebody's going to steal it. Uh, unless Spider-Man's around, even third or fourth floor, you know, a lot of people have apartments that they're, they're, they have a stairway up if it's, if it's not a high-rise. They have stairs up. But the, their patio is still not accessible by stairs. Yeah. So that little generator sitting out there is not going to get stolen. In fact, uh, on, the, on the 50th floor, you're not even going to hear it from the ground. That's true. But I mean, even on like a third floor, like if somebody wants to try to steal my generator off the third floor, I think I can tumble them over the banister before they get it done. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, some of my drums, I went on a trip around the USA three times because I had like a, a, a meeting I would go to in Arizona. So I had the a pickup truck and a little 14-foot hard shell camper. I'd drive the long way to it and the long way back, and I'd get to go around the United States and see some of my friends. And I'd actually do some consulting and everything. And I was on a tight budget. I bought food from grocery stores, and I filled the thing as I filled my pickup truck up, and I had four 15-gallon drums, blue, <laughs> okay, in the, in the back of the pickup truck. And I would fill up the pickup truck with the drums, in the states where the gasoline was cheap, like Indiana, and drive right through Illinois, fill up again in Missouri, and drive through the other states. Uh, I actually drove uh, almost all the way through California from Oregon without f filling up. And this is when gasoline was like a buck thirty-five a gallon, and in California it was a buck fifty. So I thought that was expensive at the time. <laughs> uh, but I, I had to do some a, a demonstration for someone for some group of people and so I went and gave a class to them in Virginia and I actually drove from Michigan to Virginia and partway back I drove 1400 miles with truck and trailer without refueling and here's the thing I refueled while I was driving from the drums huh how, how did you pull that off because like one of the things I've been thinking about adding to my truck uh, and it really is like I might as well add this component if I'm going to add the toolbox anyway. It's one of the toolboxes with like the 65 gallon uh, oh, those reservoirs. Are cool. those yeah, are those cool. are awesome. But you did it with a 
plastic drum with yeah. you, know, you can you just flip with those you have them installed you flip the switch and you start drawing fuel out of the the tank so how'd you do it with a plastic drum okay my fuel tanks on the left hand side of the pickup truck the driver's side right and i would put the four drums lined up from the front of the pickup truck to about to the wheel well and i had a great big tie down strap or two or three of them and i ran one tie down strap through all the handles and cranked them down and i ran another tie strap through the drums and cranked it down so okay get the picture guys the drums aren't moving right and and the drums are sealed and so what's dangerous there well okay nothing now i open up one of the drums with a bung wrench and i have you know fuel almost to the top and I put my siphon into the drum and put my siphon into the fuel tank. I start it, and I wait a minute just for it to go down a level, and I start driving. And where is the danger? I got an open drum with some vapor coming out of it and being siphoned into my truck, but where's the danger? There's no source of ignition. And that's what I, I want you guys to understand. You know, it's the vapors and the source of ignition that makes this dangerous. It's not the fuel in itself. But anyways, here's one of the secrets of why this worked so good. Um, my siphon, which I want you guys to use, it's one of those black fuel bulbs, you know, like the fuel bulb that you put on uh, an outboard motor in a boat. It's about the size of a pear and has a 3 8 inch in uh, barbed end on it and a 3 8 inch out barbed end on it. Usually it's a black bulb with white barbed ends on it. You see them on like the little boats with outboards, I said, and um, it's for priming the fuel line. You you squeeze the bulb and you prime the fuel line so the fuel goes to the outboard motor so you don't have to sit there and pull forever so it starts up right away. Okay, fine, you don't know what I'm talking about. You can see a photo of it at solar1234.com. You can get it from Amazon. You can buy it at Walmart. It's all of 12 bucks on Amazon. I think it's probably 6 bucks at Walmart. You can go to the marine section of any place selling anything for, for boats, and they will have them, okay? So you can see what I'm talking about and get one. So I'd buy my fuel bulb at Walmart. I, then I'd go to the auto supply store, which for me is auto, uh, AutoZone, but you can go to Action Auto or Pet Boys. And you tell the, you go to the counter and say, I need a 4-foot section of 3-8-inch fuel line, and I need a 6-foot section of 3-8-inch fuel line. They'll know exactly what you're talking about, and they'll go get it, Okay. I put the four-foot piece of fuel line on the suction side, and I put the which is the inside, and I put the six-foot section on the outside. That's where the fuel is going to come out, and I put the four-foot section, the suction side, into the drum, and the six-foot section into the tank. So the bulb is right near the top of the drum, and the drum's right about the fuel tank. So what I do is I would just put put them in, they'll stay in on their own, and I squeeze the bulb about six times and get the fuel flowing. I wait for the fuel to go down about a couple inches, and I'd take off and drive. And I'd take off and drive for two hours. Um, and it only takes about 15 to 20 minutes for 15 gallons to drain from the drum into the pickup truck. But it doesn't matter if it was empty or full. I just kept on driving. I just waited for my fuel tank to get down to a quarter because I had at the time uh, a 24-gallon fuel tank, because this was in my Dodge Dakota, and then I put 15 gallons in. You just want to make sure your fuel tank's low enough before you put the 15 in. Otherwise okay, you're... that's what I want to know. So this isn't like a continuous fueling thing here. This no. is we're going to get, we're going to be down near E, and then we're going to head and start this, and we can cruise on down the road, and when we need more, we can just go to the next next barrel. 
Yep, exactly. And then I would uh, just pull the thing out, the siphon out, throw it in the back of the truck, put the the bung back on the empty tank, and uh, and close it down. There might be a little bit of gasoline washing around on the bottom, but I would just pour that into another uh, barrel with with uh, a funnel. So I mean, yeah, having a couple of good funnels, really good funnels, also will help you a lot. I even use this siphon on five-gallon fuel tanks. I don't know about you, but I hate holding the five-gallon fuel tank with a short nozzle. <laughs> That's too short to fit into the fuel filler up to my truck or car. It's a pain. It comes out so slow. You're holding, you know, 30, 40 pounds worth of fuel there up against the truck. If you don't hold it right, it spills. It, it's a mess. So I put the five-gallon tank on the roof of my truck or the roof of my car, and I put the siphon into it, as I just described, and I squeeze the bulb a few times. I'll let it siphon out of the five-gallon tank and into the tank of the car, and it's done in five or ten minutes. That's a great tip because one of my big frustrations with the, let's call them the new fuel cans that have the new environmentally friendly oh. freaking uh, little freaking nozzles is one, the nozzle's not long enough. Yeah. So unless you have some kind of a weird-shaped car that makes it perfect for that little three-inch piece of crap to go in there, it's hard to get the fuel in. So I have old-school ones that I keep for those types of cans. Um, but then the other thing is they've got these, like, safety freaking contraptions on them, and you got to push the button and squeeze them. And so with this, using this very simple, like, duh, I should have thought of it, uh, contraption, you can fuel any of your vehicles without sitting there holding a can. So that's that's probably worth the uh, the entire episode for for folks today. That's that's awesome, Steve. Yeah, yeah. The fuel lines are like a buck a foot, buck thirty five a foot. I mean, and you're talking about ten bucks for the bulb. It's not that expensive. I mean, you can take one of these hoses and you can torture someone. You can beat them with it. Okay, it, it, it's a, it's incredibly durable. Anybody used to do that, like in interrogations. Yeah, fuel. Beat the guy um, with a rubber hose. Beat the guy with a rubber hose. That is exactly the type of rubber hose we are talking about right here. It's fuel line. It's durable as heck. In fact, I don't even use um, screw clamps. I don't even screw clamp them down because they, they go on and off so tight. And say I want, I want a longer piece of hose. Uh, if you want to see what the hose looks like, like I said, go to Action Auto, Pet Boys, or AutoZone. Uh, but I also have the fuel line on Solder 1234 on Amazon. And you can go see it, and you can buy 25 foot of it. It's like 25 bucks. It's, you know, it's a good deal. Um, but, you know, get it locally. And... Um, It's just heavy-duty stuff. I mean, it's just really heavy-duty. It's not going to wimp out on you. Now, these little fuel siphons that you find in the store, the ones with the small red squeeze bulb and the little clear fuel line, they're like quarter-inch fuel line, they're junk. You can't depend on those. They transfer fuel too slow. They degrade. They get crushed. They get stepped on. You can run your car over the one I just talked about. It'll be fine. This one you can depend upon forever. The bulb is hefty. The fuel line is hefty. You can't get fuel line locally like i said you can go see it on the website um while you're at it make two of them if you're going to make one you might as well make two we're only talking you know 10 20 bucks and like the old saying goes two is one one is none if you got two you're going to end up with one if you got one you're going to end up with none absolutely so what about people that only have five gallon containers i mean one of the one of the reasons people do this is obviously because it, it's you could if you want to store let's say all you wanted was 60 gallons 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had 12 containers, one for each month. You can you know, write Jan, Feb, March on each one. And once a month, you dump a, 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 a container into your vehicle, take it with you to the store, fill it back up, and put it at the end of the line. So that's one of the reasons people have done this. So what about people that are sitting on tons of five-gallon containers and don't have any of these larger things? Would you say step up and get some or, or what? I'd say step up and get some. Yeah, I'd say step up and get some. I would If I had 60 gallons... I'd have 45 of it in HD 15-gallon HGPE drums, and I'd have the other three in five-gallon containers. And you know, those, don't forget, a five-gallon container of gas is a pretty quick barter item. I mean, if like your kid's sick, you need to get to the doctor, you need to get past the line, you need these like, hey, buddy, here's a five-gallon can of gas. Okay, that'll buy you a lot. Okay. Yeah, the two biggest barter implements are Budweiser and freaking 89 octane. Uh, in a, in a, especially a short-term situation crisis. If you have, if you have Budweiser and 89 octane, you can get a lot done. <laughs> okay. You, 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 you're gonna make, you're gonna make me mention it, okay? <laughs> I have, I have an alcohol, I have a moonshine still that makes fuel alcohol, and makes moonshine too, and it's at, <laughs> it's at, it's at imakemygas.com. And uh, you can uh, ferment sugar and water and distill alcohol, which can either be a fuel or it can be uh, a barter item. But I didn't, te- yeah. I-, I didn't tell you that, so you made me do a plug. <laughs> now, if it, okay, again, I, let me reiterate. You got 60 gallons of fuel, people, <clears throat> three 15-gallon drums. Three times 15 is 45. The other 15, would be, I'd have five, five, and five in five-gallon cans, okay? Because it gives you, you need some fuel right now. You can pick it up. You can put it in. Your wife can pick up the five-gallon can and put it in. Your kids can do it. And it might be only you that's going to grunt and lift 100-pound, 15-gallon drums. So that's the way I personally would configure 60 gallons of fuel. If you want to do the thing Jack said, have 12 cans, one's labeled January, February, March, April. I'm going to talk about rotating fuel in a few minutes. I think that's a great thing because there's one thing worse than, than you know, doing fuel like that, and that's having no fuel. So that's better than nothing. In fact, that's pretty good. Uh, I said the 15-gallon drums are my preferred method. I've used two-year-old gasoline out of them with no problems, okay? Uh, in, that, in fact, there was not even pre-treatment in there, and I'll get to treatment in a little bit. However, you might be stuck in a place with regular off-the-shelf 15-gallon plastic red drum containers, gasoline containers. Now, as Jack has mentioned, a lot has changed in the past few years with these containers. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Association, and the California Air Resource Board, uh, the terrorists, um, called CARB, mandated that vapor not be able to escape from new gasoline containers because the gasoline vapor is considered of something or another to the environment, okay, for whatever reason. And now having these new containers make that are completely sealed, it makes them better for storage uh, for us because we don't want to be venting gasoline to there go our light ends. We don't want that to happen. There are child safety concerns and there's spillage concerns. The EPA and CARB does not want you to make an, an airtight container, gas container, only for it to be so clumsy to use that you spill gasoline out of the thing then let it evaporate into the atmosphere. So now you got these overly complex fuel jugs that you got to, like, push this thing in and hold this thing down, and they're cheap plastic. Yeah, because I'm all about the not letting the vapors out. Like, right. if you think it's going to save polar bears, fine. I'm all about it because it's better for me. But these freaking 
and they're all different. One's like a lever you pull back and push, and the other one's got like a spring-loaded freaking. I, I don't even know how you're supposed to use it uh, with any kind of freaking. I don't know competence. It's just it's if you put it in a lawnmower, it's fine, and I guess that's what most people are doing. Yeah. If you're trying to get it into a vehicle, it's not good. Yeah, the one my wife has for the lawnmower, you got to turn the can down and use the weight of the can, and it pushes back a spring opening. That's the one I'm talking about. That one's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's the spring is so tight that you can't pull back with your fingers and just pour either, let yeah. alone for the time of the gasoline. And they, then they took out the air holes in the back. There's yeah, no, that was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, one, for the regulations of evaporation, and two, I mean, because people would just leave the rear end open all the time, and it would evaporate. So I think the, that's the reason they did the whole thing, right? Because even the old-style cans where you pulled the, the nozzle out, flipped it around, stuck it through the thing, what would happen is people would just leave that nozzle on and stick the little little tap, you know, little top thing on it. Um, and, and that obviously, you know, that's when you'd go to somebody's shed and it smelled like a gas station. Yeah, so what I would, if you stuck with five gallon gas cans, just go get five gallon gas cans and ignore the entire damn siphon no, nozzle junk BS and just screw the, the, the thing on as tight as possible. And then when you want to use your gas, either take, unscrew the whole thing off and either pour it into a big funnel that goes into your tank or use the siphon arrangement that I just talked about. Uh, that's the best way to use the five-gallon cans. If you're stuck with five-gallon cans, that's the way I would use them. I think Jack agrees with me. Yeah, definitely. You got any refueling stories you can tell us, Jack? What do you I got one from a long time ago. I was just out of the Army. I was 21 years old, and I bought this car. It was a 70-something Mustang II, and uh, it had about three-quarters of a tank in it. And Me and a buddy, right after we bought it, we were going to go fishing. And uh, we're cruising down Highway 81 out towards the Susquehanna River. Well, I learned something I already knew, uh, and that is just because a gas uh, level uh, gauge says you have fuel doesn't mean you necessarily have fuel. Mm -hmm. uh, the gauge was broken, and we were in the middle of nowhere, basically, and the car just died. Yep. No gas. And even though it said three-quarters of a tank still, I'm like, it should have used something by now. It's out of gas. So me and a buddy go walking down, and we had to walk about a mile uh, down to a gas station off off the highway, and uh, on the way we found a uh, an old antifreeze jug. So we filled we that's what we filled up the gas with. Okay. And, and we're walking back. I mean, we already walked about a mile and a half. If people are walking past, you see two guys, you know, walking carrying a jug toward the highway. You know what they're doing. Nobody wants to stop and give us a ride. Some guy finally stops and give us a ride. Uh, not really big to the story, except it's just funny how certain people will do things you wouldn't expect. Guy stops and gives us a ride. Turns out he was a guy named, uh, last name Gears. There's a big Gears Dairy there. He was the owner. This guy was worth about $60 million. And out of all the people that went by, he was the one that stopped and gave us a, a ride back to our vehicle. <laughs> so we get back there, and now we're looking at an antifreeze jug. <laughs> and we're going, we can probably get enough in there to get the car to run to the exit and get down, but we're going to spill a lot of it. And what we ended up doing was finding a pop bottle, cutting the bottom off it, and making a funnel out of it. One held the pop bottle, and the other one uh, dumped it in. That was about the most uh, jacked-up way we ever had to get fuel into a vehicle. But it worked. That's why you said on the Glenn Beck Show that the most important thing is the preparedness mindset. You're going to do what you can with what you got and what you find, and it's good to have a sharp knife on you. Yeah, you got to have a knife. 
Yeah. If every if, you can improvise just about anything, but you can make a knife, but it takes a lot of skill and a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, busting a sharp rock. Yeah. So the yeah. thing about the five gallon cans, or really for any gasoline storage, is that you should put in an additive to make it more stable. Okay, this gives a better shelf life. Most of us have heard of, of the products called Stable, S-T-A-B-I-L-L. You can find them at Walmart or any auto supply store. It's a good product. It extends the life, storage life of your gasoline. You should be adding some additive to your 15-gallon drums as well as your 5-gallon tanks. <clears throat> now, I keep about 45 gallons of gasoline in storage for my own needs. Okay, that would be gas for my wife's car, for our generators, and I have extra diesel fuel for my truck. As I mentioned, I have a two-year-old gasoline that I've used in my generator out of a 15-gallon barrel that was just fine. I had zero issues with it, okay, because I had it sealed good. However, I have started to use a new product over the last year that will allow me to store gasoline, I'm told, for up to 12 years. I'll get to that. It's called PRI. That's like Papa Roger India. PRI. And there's PRI-G for gasoline and PRI-D for diesel. This company started making these additives for emergency services, for the emergency services market. Um, places that have 500 or 1,000 gallon tanks of gasoline or diesel to run their backup generators. Indeed, they have customers with 40,000-gallon tanks of fuel. And you use one ounce of PRI per 16 gallons of gasoline per year. And it puts what we call the light ends back in. It puts back in the stuff that evaporates out. It also has a chemical in there to keep the fuel from breaking down because it will depolymerize a little bit. And it does this on exposure to air and to light. Now, 30 bucks of this stuff will treat up to 250 gallons of fuel, so I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, <clears throat> I have the links to where you can get it, again, on Amazon at solar1234.com. You will have to buy this from Amazon, or you'll have to buy it from other, some other survival or preparedness place, uh, emergency essentials, um, nitro pack, all the big ones have it, okay? Um, it's cheaper on Amazon, though. Uh, you have to buy it on the Internet because the only chain store that carries it is Camping World. And I'm using this in all my fuels. And I called the company and said, hey, I need to know where my people can go buy it. And sorry, guys, Camping World and the Internet was the only place to get it. I wish I could, could tell you AutoZone had it, but they don't. Um, so I called PRI and spoke to one of their head chemists. Okay, I've been using this stuff. I got a chemistry background, so I called and got one of their head chemists. And he was happy to give me details. And I told him I was doing it for the show, and he just spilled his guts and all the, everything I, I wanted to be able to tell you. <clears throat> they have one customer that has 12-year-old gasoline, uh, and it's just in like a regular great big 500-gallon uh, tank, and it's 12 years old. And they've been adding PRIG for the last 12 years. One treatment a year, and the gasoline is fine. The generator starts up and runs and works perfect. Most places with backup generators, they test them every month, and they usually test them for 30 minutes. So if there were any problems with the fuel, it would show up. I don't believe them. I don't trust them. <laughs> I am going to do it myself, okay? I'm going to put fuel. I got fuel from 2010 and 2011, and uh, I use bl blue 3M tape. Uh, 
and a Sharpie marker. I always write on everything when and where I got it. So I'm going to take them up on their challenge and see how long I can keep gasoline for. And hopefully, God, Jack, I hope you're around in 10 years, and I'm coming and saying, you remember show number 963? <laughs> and, and, well, I got 10-year-old gasoline. So That would be cool. And, I mean, I look at it this way with the you know if you're not EMS studying st- storing forty thousand gallons if it'll get you five years you should be able to rotate your fuel anyway within five years you should be rotating right yeah so but I mean if it'll last it long that's just awesome especially for people that maybe have remote locations right and then they have fuel sitting out there it's a little more difficult to to keep up with rotation and maybe they're only getting out there once a quarter or something and if they can treat it once a year and they can extend it. That helps that remote location sustainability a, a lot as well, and we have a lot of people like that. Now, one of the things I get, though, from people, Steve, is I've got this gas, and it's old, and uh, I don't know if it's good or not, and I really want to get rid of it, but I don't know what to do with it, and, and I understand because it's like I've had an old can that got, you know, like for a weed whacker or something got left in the back of the shed that, you know, you forgot about it, and it's you know, it could be a year old, it could be five years old, and, you know... Me, it's always been okay. That if it's a little bit, that becomes like my fire starting can. Yeah, right? you know, because you just can't get rid of it. So, is there any like did, did when you talk to this guy? Did he say anything about kind of like reviving old gas or anything? Yes, he did. In fact, he says if you, I'm not trying to make this a pitch. More, more importantly, do you believe him? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to do it myself. Okay. I'm not trying to make this a pitch for PRI. Okay. It's it just it's it's again it's just good crap that I've been using. And it's been working good, and I get no BS from these people. And they said if you put two ounces per 16 gallons instead of one ounce, you'll be able to use the gasoline as if it was brand new. Okay, I got two 15-gallon barrels of four-year-old gasoline that I will be trying this experiment on, and I will report back to you. I believe them. Now, let's say we don't believe them. I'm going to tell you what I have done to get rid of old fuel, and it works great. So, like I said, I got 45, 60 gallons of fuel in, in my uh, engineering shop and where I ship books out of and everything else. The normal way I get rid of old fuel is I give it to my employees, and boy, do they love it. I mean, <laughs> it's like, here, you want 10 gallons of 350-gallon uh, fuel? It's like, yeah, sure. What I do is I mix the old fuel 50-50 with gasoline. And no one has a problem with it in any of their cars. Now, I'm not sitting there with a beaker of old fuel, new fuel, and mixing it, okay? What I do is I have them let me know when they have half a tank of fuel left in their car, and then I pour in five or ten gallons of old fuel, and they drive away with, you know, thanks, Steve, for the fuel. And this is how I rotate my fuel and keep it fresh because I drive a diesel all day long, and my wife's car is at the house, which is not where the fuel is. And until recently, it wasn't. She was in a tight garage, so there's no easy way for me to do it. And I don't want to, you know, transfer by five gallon cans into a car. So I just give it to my employees. And let me tell you, mixing it fifty-fifty with new fuel. I mean, four-year-old gasoline, two-year-old gasoline. I've mixed it fifty-fifty with new gasoline. I put it to all my employees' cars, and no one has called me yet, cursing me out, saying I'm stuck at the side of the road. Okay, it works just perfect, people. You can depend upon this. You can do it yourself. That's what I want you to know. 
So during that, Steve, you used a, a, a term that I use all the time. Uh, I use it with ammo. I use it with food. I use it with just about every prep that we have, and that's rotation, uh, getting stuff, the old stuff out and the new stuff in. And with fuel, it's actually relatively easy if you remember to do it because we all use fuel just about every day of our lives. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I love it. Rotation, if you're disciplined enough to do it. I like the idea about what you said about having um, one five-gallon can for every week or every two weeks or for every month, and you label it. I think that's probably one of the best ways to do it. That's a new idea to me. I fully embrace it. I think it's smart. Um, I think that might be even slightly easier than using 15-gallon drums for rotation purposes, especially if you use the siphon I told you about. because then The siphon just, makes it so much easier. Yeah, it's, you, don't have to, you don't have to pour the thing up. I think uh, 12 5-gallon cans uh, out in your shed or your garage with a siphon, I think that might be one of the darndest, easiest ways to do it, and that's a good way to have plenty of fresh fuel in, in, in barter-sized containers, and I like it a lot. If you wanted to store it and put it away and forget about it, I would use the 15-gallon HDPE drums with the bung wrench and the PRI-G. You know, and I think what's really cool is that the, the, the answer is probably, as you, you know, develop your preparedness, yes, right, to both of those. Mm -hmm. Right, to having because that way you have diversity in your back to two is one and one is none. But up till now, what we've really talked about has been gasoline. Now, mm -hmm. you know me, I'm a diesel head. So can we me, talk a little too. bit about some diesel stuff? <clears throat> me too. I'm a big diesel person. I drive a 2001 uh, Dodge diesel Ram pickup truck, four by four, 2500. And uh, please don't think you know we're all rich and everything else because you listen to us guys. We live just like you do. I'm driving a truck that's you know 11 years old, and I do it because it works, and I don't have a reason to get rid of it. Um, and you'll probably be driving it for 10 more years. Mine is a uh, 2005, so yeah, okay. I understand. Like Jack says, just paid off, guys. Stay out of debt. Yeah. Okay. Diesel is an awesome fuel. It stores on its own forever. It does not evaporate like gasoline. It doesn't evaporate quickly. If you spill it on the ocean, it evaporates quicker than petrol than uh, crude oil does. Okay. But it just doesn't really want to evaporate. It's a heavy hydrocarbon liquid. Heck, some places it's still called fuel oil. Diesel number two is what people use in the Northeast for winter heat, and diesel number one is what's usually used sold for trucks and cars. Although diesel number two works just fine in a diesel car or truck. That's a little secret there. You can put it in a 15-gallon drum and just forget about it. It's going to be fine when you go to use it. This is why this diesel is the preferred fuel for long-term storage for emergency power backup systems. Police stations, hospitals, they're all on diesel. Plus, diesel engines are significantly more efficient than a gasoline engine. So you get for less fuel, you get more electricity, or for the same amount of fuel, you get a lot more electricity. Cool. Um, I want to tell you a quick story about what you need to keep away from diesel. Army lieutenants. <laughs> uh, when I was in Honduras, we had a whole bunch of leftover diesel that they decided the easiest thing to do because none of the locals had anything other than gas vehicles, and there weren't even many of those, uh, was to just burn off the, the, the leftover fuel. Mm -hmm. So we had about uh, 10 fuel, fuel, fuel drums, the steel ones, and we would put, you know, 10 gallons of diesel fuel in the bottom of it and then a little bit of gas on the top and light it on fire and it would sit there and burn. And basically then you had guard duty. Guys, you know, somebody had to sit there and watch the barrels burn. Well, we were getting ready to leave, so there wasn't a lot of work to do. So 
we figured out that if you threw a pebble in there, like it shot a little diesel fuel in there, and it was kind of cool. <laughs> so we'd sit around on guard duty guarding these things, throwing pebbles, which was harmless. Well, the lieutenant comes by and goes, oh, that's cool. Check this out. He picks up a freaking rock, I'd say about twice the size of a softball. And, you know, we're all like, no, he does it anyway because, you know, he's an officer and he can do what he wants. Well, as soon as he let go of the rock, nobody even bothered at that point to try to explain anything. Everybody just hauls ass. And it looked like a freaking napalm coming down out of the sky. Um, it was uh, – <laughs> so <laughs> it was, uh, that's kind of an aside, but when you were talking about how, how awesome it is and, and, and using it by the government – that's what it reminded me of is that we do have to think about safety once in a while too. Yeah. So there's my there's my don't let lieutenants near um, diesel story. <laughs> now storing diesel does have very one very ugly monster, Jack. Okay, and when this monster rears its head, it's a showstopper. Algae and fungus grow in diesel fuel. It uses the fuel as a food source. It literally eats the hydrocarbon. Huh. Fungus grows in the fuel. The algae will grow in any water that condenses from the air in the fuel tank, and they both use the diesel fuel as a food source and leave behind a scum that will plug up your engine. The heart of any diesel engine is the fuel injector. It's what the whole reason why a diesel engine operates as efficient as it does. Some high-pressure direct-injection diesel engines, like the VW diesel cars, have fuel line pressures over 20,000 PSI. So imagine a scum or fungus in there. As I mentioned, PRI-G as a gasoline treatment. Well, there's PRI-D for diesel that I'm using now, and it treats a diesel fuel. It has a fungicide in it that prevents the growth of any fungus, algae, or bacteria. Again, I have PRID listed on solar1234.com so you can see what it looks like and find it wherever you so desire on the Internet or Camping World. Uh, PRI actually did a whole project with Oak Ridge National Labs. They, Oak Ridge had a 40,000-gallon diesel fuel tank, and it was old, you know, probably 10 years old or more. It did not have fungus issue. It was just old diesel fuel, and PRI use PRI-D to bring the fuel up to new diesel standards, and Oak Ridge did not have to dispose of it. How do you get rid of 40,000 gallons of diesel fuel, Jack? That's a lot of guard duty. If you, uh, it's, uh, that's, that's something you definitely don't want a lieutenant with a rock near. Yeah, well, no, the truth is the old diesel <laughs> the, the, the truth of this is that old diesel fuel, even 10 years old, would probably work perfectly in the diesel generators that they have, unless they have yeah. or fungus in it, or any of the employees' diesel vehicles that work there. But when you're a national security asset, Class 1A, nuclear research facility with lethal force authorized, you have a higher set of standards and everything must stand up to, which means the fuel was analyzed in a chemistry laboratory, and if it works good enough for Oak Ridge to bring their fuel back up to new standards and analyze in their chemical laboratory and their nuclear research facility, I think it'll work fine for us. So how's a person that's got some diesel, you know, they've stored for a while and may or may not have done it right and wants to know, do I have any of this stuff growing in there? How do they figure it out? You go get a glass, a glass glass like you drink of that you no longer care about, a clear glass, and you pour some fresh diesel into it right out of the can that you got from from, from the uh, dispenser, the, uh, <laughs> what am I saying, the gas station today, okay? And you'll see it's very clear. 
Now take a, uh, some of your stored diesel and pour it into another glass. And if it's cloudy or not clear, you got critters growing in your diesel fuel. There are fungicides for diesels to kill the fungus, bacteria, or algae, but that still leaves you with a bunch of dead stuff in it, and that's a problem. You're going to have to get an electric fuel pump, rig up a filter, and I mean something like a one-micron filter that you would use for filtering water and get rid of the fungus that is going to be create this mess. Now, I know a friend with a trimaran that got diesel uh, tank infected. He had to clean the whole tank, all the lines, all the filters, uh, the fuel injection system of the engine, and then fungicide the whole thing before putting fresh diesel fuel in. If you get something growing in your diesel fuel, the easy answer is there's nothing you can do about it other than doing the filtering thing I just mentioned, which I think that's really more complicated than you want to get into. You'll just have to get rid of the fuel. Many of your recycle centers or your cities and sometimes Sherwin-Williams stores will have a hazmat day where you can bring any hazardous chemicals, you know, drain cleaners, uh, paint thinners, old paint, uh, oil-based stains, and they'll take uh, your stuff for free for you and dispose of it. Other than using a quart of it at a time on an outdoor camping fire, that's and I, and so you got to have a fire pit in your backyard, or you can give it away to someone you don't like. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I don't really know of a way. You can put it on Craigslist and say free diesel fuel. I guarantee you it'll go away, but you don't want that person coming back and finding you saying you're you got to have an anonymous Starbucks parking lot meeting to give away diesel fuel like that because you yeah. don't want them coming back asking you about it. Um, I, like I said, a, a fire pit and using a cord as a fire starter is is probably the easiest way to get rid of that. A lieutenant with a rock maybe could burn down a Honduran village with it for you. I I, I, I mean, I, I really don't know what you do with it once you you end up with you know that much extra diesel fuel. If it's a little bit, you can you can burn it off somewhere. But uh, what, what, what would you say to do with it, Steve? I don't know. I got two 15-gallon drums of diesel fuel right now that are foggy. <laughs> Guilty. I mean, the reason I'm telling you the stuff of what works and don't work, is I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've done it. I can tell you that that's what happens to it if you don't treat it, and I'm guilty of it. So that's, you know, I'm not getting this out of a book or just talking to companies. <laughs> this is coming from hard experience, guys. Yeah, there's a reason I can tell you how to get your truck out of a ditch. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, that's just, it, and it's good because that's, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, trying to do the best we can with what we have and we all have lives and, you know, things that you, it, it also even goes back to the mechanic is always the guy that needs a tune up on his car and an oil change because, you know, he's doing it for everybody else. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the only way to get rid of it is to burn it. I, I, I do, you, too. You can't dump it somewhere. No. That's you know, true. I mean, you'll think I hate the planet because I don't buy into environmentalism, wacko stuff. No, I don't. And you you got to be responsible with something like that. It's a toxic substance. If you dump it somewhere, nothing's going to grow for 100 years where you dumped it. So uh, burning is the only thing I can come up with. <laughs> I just thought of another one. You could go get a bunch of it and make letters on the lawn of people you hate, like F. <laughs> I got a way to do that that's more environmentally friendly. It's it's positive letters instead of negative letters. I shouldn't tell anybody this, but you know that really cheap winter ryegrass seed? Yeah. That grows like super fast and dark green. Yeah. Well, if you were to format that into a word in somebody's lawn in the fall, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, we better get back on subject or we're not going to finish. we got to talk about kerosene, Jack. Yeah, so what about kerosene? Kerosene was my bedrock of my energy for preparedness all through the 1990s and early 2000s. I had a kerosene burner. It's like a kerosene heater with a round wick, but there's nothing above the wick. So you just get the straight blue flame that comes up that you can uh, raise and lower, make hotter or cooler. So uh, it puts out a tall blue flame that you can cook on. Lehman's and other Amish supply places sold these. If if you don't know what Lehman's is, it's L-E-H-M-A-N-S. Go Google Lehman's, and I think you'll... Have a you'll you'll really love them. They're a good. Supply. We'll just say it's not Lehman Brothers. It's not Lehman Brothers. That's right. It's an old country store online. So I had um, an oven I could put on top and bake bread, and I had exactly a year's worth of flour for making bread for two people every day. And I knew exactly how much fuel it would take to make how many pounds of bread because I you know I made bread and measured the fuel and everything else. Um, so I had a good 60 gallons of kerosene stored in five-gallon metal cans for uh, a year's worth of bread baking. And I, I still got it, you know, to this day in storage. I got the kerosene back when it was a buck thirty-five per gallon, and being in Michigan at the time, kerosene was available at a good selection of gas stations. With kerosene now more expensive than diesel fuel, costing four dollars a gallon, and this is. Um, September 12th of 2012 that we're recording this, just in case someone's listening to this 10 years from now, going, oh, my God, $4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, kerosene is really not used that much in, in preparedness as it used to be. Yeah, and I, I do remember when, like, when I was living in Pennsylvania, we used kerosene space heaters to supplement yep. heat because we had the baseboard electric, and it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. And we had a vent in the floor and downstairs basement. You could set one little kerosene heater down there and uh, turn that on, and it would reduce how much electricity you needed to use by way more than the cost of the kerosene. But kerosene back then was a buck ten, a buck twenty a gallon. What happened, man? Yeah, well, that's a whole different show. Okay. <laughs> now, the thing is, you got to know how kerosene goes bad, okay? So, so how does kerosene go bad as compared to, let's say, diesel fuel? It oxidizes with the air, and it goes from being clear to being yellow. So that's why you want to keep your kerosene really sealed tight, uh, like in a 15-gallon HDPE drum. Uh, clear kerosene is fine. Kerosene with a straw yellow color, we call it straw yellow because it's light yellow, that's fine. A darker yellow, like a urine or a piss yellow, is pretty oxidized kerosene. So what happens when it turns yellow? Well, it burns with more of a kerosene odor to it. It'll smell more. It'll burn with a sootier flame that might reduce the life of your wick, which is an issue in a round burner or an Aladdin lamp, if you know what one of those are. Mm-hmm. Lehman's has Aladdin lamps, so once you've seen one, you'll never go back. Um, but uh, would not be much of an issue in a standard flat wick kerosene lamp. So that's what it does. The, the same will be true of using yellow kerosene and a kerosene lantern. It'll have more of a smell than a clean, clear kerosene, let alone the ultra-pure paraffin or kerosene that's sold in stores to go with lanterns. It's like 20 bucks a gallon, but, I mean, like I said, I stored my kerosene from the 1990s in five-gallon metal cans with a tight screw lid on it. Uh, these were the shiny metal cans that you might have had in the military, Jack. They they weren't yep. colored. They looked more like smaller versions of the World Trade Center. Were yep, that, I know exactly that, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Then these weren't traditional metal gas cans or NATO cans. Today, if I was storing kerosene, I'd use the same HDPE 15 gallon drums that 
uh, use for diesel or, or gasoline or water. However, today where I live, I wouldn't have kerosene. I wouldn't store it. I'd be storing gasoline or diesel to run my vehicle or my generator and then use that to recharge AA batteries and use those to run LED lights, which I went over in exhaustive detail on my show number 10, which was TSP show number 940. And uh, I'd use these to run LED lights. And all my past shows, again, are on solar1234.com. You can see them all there. You can get them all. It links to Jack's show where he has a list of all my shows, too. Um, Anyway, this is by far more multi-purpose and flexible. Using gasoline or diesel in your car or a generator and using that energy to recharge AA batteries to run LED lights than it is to store kerosene and put it into a kerosene lantern, in my humble opinion. I think that's the better way to do it in year 2012. Okay. Plus, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Plus, now where I live in the USA, I have an infinite source of fuel for my generator. So I can have all the electricity I need to charge my AA, C, or D cell batteries, my large battery bank. I even have enough electricity to use a bread maker to make bread. And it's a whole other story, but I think the one-hour bread makers are the best ways of making bread. It's like you know doing laundry. You put it in, you push the button, and you come back in an hour, and it's done. And who, want, who, who wants nothing more than fresh bread in an emergency? But uh, this this fuel that I'm using doesn't spoil, doesn't go bad. It takes up zero storage space in my shop. Well, I, I, bread is one thing, but infinite fuel is more interesting to me. So what is this infinite fuel? Well, it's one that many people have completely ignored because they think it's part of being part of the grid. It's natural gas. It's the same natural gas that probably runs your furnace in the winter and that heats your hot water all year round. When I worked for the CERT team in Michigan, we had people come in from the power companies and teach us how to handle natural gas leaks and how to handle down power lines. And one of the natural gas guys um, that came to us had been at Consumers Power, which was a natural gas supplier in Michigan, for over 35 years, and he was an engineer. He knew the system completely inside and out from end to end, and I got a chance to talk to him one-on-one -on -one for a while, and I put the idea to him. I said, let's say there is a massive worldwide plague. Hundreds of millions of people in the USA die. No one's going to work. No one to maintain a natural gas system. How long would it run for? That got a, <whistles> and a big woo whistle from him. And he says, a long time. <laughs> the natural gas system is powered by itself, okay? Natural gas, some natural gas wells are naturally pressurized to over 5,000 PSI. The natural gas well at my gun range is pressurized to 80 PSI. I can walk right up to the well and look at the gauge and it says 80 PSI. Now, th this is coming right out of the ground, guys, okay? It's naturally pressurized. The pressure of the natural gas going to your furnace in your house is 0 0.15 PSI. This is like natural gas is like water flowing downhill, okay? It's going to go through the system. Everything that runs the natural gas system and keeps it powered and keeps it going is powered off of natural gas. It's a self-maintaining system. Some of the natural gas lines in Detroit are still made from hollowed-out tree trunks 110 years old, and you'd think that would be a bad thing. But think about it. If a tree trunk holding natural gas has lasted for 110 years, do you think it's going to last a year you need it? The answer is probably yes. Even Hurricane Katrina did not knock out the natural gas system. There is only one time the natural gas lines are turned off instantly and automatically, 
So, and that is in areas that have earthquakes, like California, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, that would not be a good source of backup power because the natural gas lines break and cause fires, and so they turn them off automatically when the ground starts quaking. I can tell you the one other time I know that they might go off and guilty of causing it to happen, uh, but not my fault, the fault of utility locators, and that is uh, with the use of something like a, a rock trencher or a backhoe. Yeah. Uh, you, you might have a line here or there, but I've even had, we used to do directional boring, and we hit a four-inch gas main oh. with a directional boring rig uh, that wasn't marked. I didn't do it on purpose. And uh, uh, when the gas company came out and exposed it, even though it was venting pressure off and blow and scared the crap out of us. I mean, yeah. the guy on the drill was 200 feet away, horizontal drilling, and I saw him fly off that machine. I, I just keyed over the mic and said, it's gas, get off the machine and shut it off. And he looked like a popcorn kernel going. But <laughs> they were not, the, the, the service was not out even with a hole in the side of the, the main because it was still pushing pressure through. The guys came out, and they exposed the line. They put a bypass line on it. Mm-hmm. They cut and they, then they pinched it off. Mm-hmm. Then they cut out the damaged portion. They welded in a new piece and then they removed the bypass line. And they did that in about two and a half hours. These are guys that know what they're doing and they, and they know how safe natural gas can be. It will scare you though when it blows. The, I was standing on the ground next to a guy teaching him how to locate and uh, it lifted us up about two feet before it vented out the sides. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> And you know, you hear this hum, and then you hear, and you know what it is. It's the only thing underground that does that. Water is very different. Oh, <laughs> wow. We're, we're digressing again. But it is, an, it is a testament to how resilient um, it is. Mm-hmm. It's an infinite source of fuel, and I have several generators that run off of natural gas. I have a video on YouTube, and uh, I have already put the video on solar1234.com, so you can go see the video. It's embedded on the page. You don't have to go through my YouTube pages. It's of a weather balloon, a 300-gram weather balloon full of natural gas floating over my Honda EU 2009 generator, and it's running a kilowatt of lights for a load. Okay? Imagine, Jack, a weather balloon floating over the generator in free space. I show you everything around the whole setup so you know it's not a camera trick or me doing something trickery. Uh, natural gas is lighter than air. If you fill a balloon up with it, it'll float away. So... As I am going to discuss and tell you and show you exactly what and where to get everything uh, for generators. Generators run great off of natural gas. In fact, you can go buy a tri-fuel or a natural gas propane uh, gasoline generator right now. Um, what I do now is I run off of natural gas for my generator, and I'll have 45 gallons of fuel in reserve for the generator. That's just in case the natural gas line goes down or something. But, I mean, just think about it. You're sitting there on, a, on like, a, a hose of infinite fuel, really cheap, and it, and it burns better in your generator. It doesn't hurt the oil as much. And you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go out and spill fuel and fill it up every eight hours, every 12 hours. I mean, it's just absolutely great. And I'm going to cover this in detail, explicit detail, in the generator show coming up. Same goes for propane. If you live in the, in the country and you have a 500-gallon propane pig, 
This is a lot of energy sitting there. You, you tell you what, you call up the propane company, say, I'm putting up a garage, and I'm putting in propane heaters. I need more, uh, another pig. They'll bring you out a thousand gallon pig, okay? <laughs> and then now you got a thousand gallons of propane fuel out there for your generator, for your furnace, and everything else. And, and we've heard from people in the audience, by the way, Steve, that in most locations you can store up to about 2,000 gallons of propane in tanks before you have to get any kind of special permission from Big Brother. Oh, boy. That, that's, that's a lot. That's a, literally a ton. Yeah, let me tell you, your furnace, <laughs> your, your furnace uses more fuel than your generator does. A typical furnace is 60 to 100,000 BTUs per hour. Uh, a gallon of gasoline is 120,000 BTUs. If your generator used one gallon of gas every four hours, and that's a pretty heavy load, that's only 30,000 BTUs per hour. That's one-third uh, of what your furnace is using. So there's plenty of natural gas for your generator and for your furnace. Um, Jack, that about eats up the hour. We went a little long. I thought I was going to do a show on fuel storage and generators, but it, the, show, the show just turned out to be generators. My entire next show is going to be nothing but generators, gasoline, diesel, natural gas, propane generators, uh, big generators, ones that you – they're traditional generators. I'm going to talk about the inverter generators. I'm going to talk about two-cycle generators, generators on trailers, whole house generators, you know, generators that weigh as little as 18 pounds. I'm going to show, tell you how to hook them up to your house. Uh, I'm going to tell you how to run them off of natural gas, get the natural gas off, off your hot water heater. I'm going to tell them how to hook them up with a transfer switch to your house to feed your whole house, how to uh, back feed your house without a transfer switch by throwing the breakers. And uh, I'm going to tell you every darn little possible secret I possibly can about running a generator and powering your house. Again, the links to all my previous shows and everything I talked about on this show, you can go see it and see what it looks like. Buy it on Amazon or buy it locally. Uh, it's all on www.solar1234.com. That's S-O-L-A-R-1234.com. Uh, you got the photos. You got my previous shows. Um, I just don't want to talk to you and say, hey, I use this and use this. I want to enable you. I want you to be able to go get the stuff I talked about and know that's going to work as good for you as it's worked for me and it's worked for Jack. We share stuff. Um, always, you guys are great. Uh, great audience. I've learned so much from you guys. Uh, and I just want to give you guys as much as that I know about. So feel free to email me with questions. My email is on solar1234.com. Do a call in to Jack's expert panel with questions. Those are fabulous because we get to share them. Uh, all through, you know, Jack's normal shows, uh, especially if it's about something the show I didn't answer for you, put it in the expert panel or give me a call or give me an email, and we'll get it taken care of you. Yeah, let and me say one real quick thing on the expert panel thing, guys. If you want to submit a question for Steve or any of the other members of the panel, do it by calling into the Think line, 866-65-THINK. And, and then email me as soon as you do and say, Jack, I just called for Steve or Tim or, or, or Joe Nobody or whoever you've called for from number and give me your number. Uh, don't worry about giving me your number. Once you've called the Think Line, I already have your number. You can trust me. I've never called anybody back or harassed anybody unless they ask me to. Uh, but that is how you submit to the expert council. If you send me an email for Steve, I might forward it to him. Um, but the expert councils are answered on the call-in shows on Friday, 
They are not done by email. So please, I know some of you are shy, but call in your expert panel questions. And I have people email me with other off-topic questions as well. And hey, guys, you got two things. I want if you live in an apartment building, I want you to email me and tell me how high up you are and uh, what your concerns are about preparedness. And if you got a question on generators, um, yes, I'm going to cover PTO generators. I forgot to mention that. But uh, any questions you have on generators or anything. Go to solar1234.com, pick up my email, it's on the right-hand side. Email me with your questions about generators, because I'm still writing the generator show, and I want it to be as diverse and as full and jam-packed as possible. And there's things that you guys write me about, and I go, oh, I forgot all about it. Cool, cool. Well, man, uh, I appreciate you being on the show again. Uh, there's a reason that you've been on probably more this year than anybody's been on in, in some total, uh, and it's because of all the great information you always bring. So, Steve, thanks for uh, being with us again and your generator show, folks. That is going to air October 18th, because I have Steve. I see Dorothy already has him on the calendar for the 17th of October, so that's already booked and ready to happen. Again, Steve, thanks for being on the show with us again. Jack, you're wonderful. The audience is wonderful. I can't say it enough. I love you guys all. All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. seen our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.